This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. CBS Wednesday. We have so many cool, diverse people from different backgrounds, different beliefs, different upbringings, and it just keeps growing. Citizen of the United States. I'm a hustler. I'm a big Taylor Swift fan. I'm the queen of the tribe. I am playing whatever role I gotta play. I'm gonna play this game for speed. I ain't going down like no punk. A new Survivor Wednesday on CBS and streaming on Paramount Plus. Blitz is defined as a sudden savage attack. It is indeed all this. The effect is sure. The premise is simple. It's a basic, primal confrontation, man to man. No excuses are offered. None accepted. Welcome to the latest edition of Longhorn Blitz with Horns247.com. It's like a radio station. Now, here are your hosts, lifetime Longhorn Rod Babers. Pure athlete, yeah. I transcend race, hombre. Matt Butler. I don't talk Man, I back it up. And we are chock full of that, man. Go right! And Jeff Howe. It's still real to me, damn it! And that's the bottom line. Custom Cold said so. It's still real to me, damn it! And that's the bottom line. Custom Cold said so. If you're gonna blitz, come strong, but don't come at all. Coming strong with another edition of Longhorn Blitz with Horns 24-7. I am Jeff Howe. Let's not waste any time and get right into this week's presentation. First off, wherever you're listening, however you're listening, we thank you so much for supporting Longhorn Blitz a decade plus and still going strong, and that is thanks to you, the listener. You can get this podcast anywhere you get your podcasts. Search Horns 24-7. That's Horns 247. No dashes, no slashes. No spaces. Click that follow button. You get every episode of The Blitz when it drops on Tuesdays. Don't forget to leave us a five-star review. And don't forget to get over to Horns 24-7 for all your latest Longhorn news, notes, and nuggets. And the best recruiting coverage in the Texas market with Mike Roach and Hudson Standish is at Horns247.com. Let me bring in the rest of the team. He is the master of the soundboard, the drama machine extraordinaire, our lead research analyst on Longhorn Blitz, and a daily fantasy guru. He is Matt Butler. How are you, sir? Doing pretty well, man. How about you? I'm glad that you and I had a conversation uh, earlier, and it tied back to a, uh, oh, it's, it's you going the, with Rudy Gobert, the, the <laughs> Gobert, Jobert thing. Yep. And uh, we ended up talking, having a conversation where it prompted a scenario from King of the Hill that it related to, so... Thank you, Matt, for letting me check that off my bingo card for today. Old Joe Bear. I can go I'll go about the rest of my day, and uh, things are great. Uh, a man who has a great day every day, regardless of whether it's good or bad, uh, one of the most positive people you will ever be around. He wears many hats for the Austin Radio Network, including co-hosting Ball Don't Lie with Mike Harge each and every day on the horn from 3 to 7. But for the purposes of this podcast, he is our lockdown corner here on Longhorn Blitz. 
Lifetime Longhorn, 2002 UT All-American, 2002 semifinalist for the Jim Thorpe Award. Fourth-round draft choice of the New York Giants back in 2003. Spent his NFL career with the Giants, Lions, Bears, Bucks, Broncos, and a year with the Hamilton Tiger Cats of the CFL. When he was done with football, he got himself back to Austin, Texas, and the 40 Acres, where he earned his degree. Whenever that team ring comes back in, we will make sure he wears it proudly. Nevertheless, he is a card-carrying member of DBU. And when you get that All-American honor recognized by the NCAA, they make sure you get one of those black cards. Number 21 in your program, number one in your hearts, Mr. Rod Babers. I appreciate the intro, brother. Uh, missed it last week because of the uh, yes, the weather, the frigid weather conditions yeah. outside. Felt good to say it. It's been two weeks, so yeah. felt yeah. that was smooth. That was good. <laughs> Ended up good with the freezing. Yeah, hope everybody's doing fine. Uh, the three of us talked about it before the show. Uh Rod, Rod and I are going to Google after this about the wood chipper industry, find out how yeah. that's doing in the wake of uh, oh, our, our latest winter Especially storm. Everybody got the, their wood at the curb ready for heavy yeah. trash pickup. Yeah. Our, yeah. Everybody out in the neighborhood, I mean, mm-hmm. there's so much wood. you got to be able to do something with it. Some people came and stole some wood. Yeah. Some, you some got good oak, got good, yeah, good firewood, barbecue some wood. people that was barbecuing, yeah, or something like that. Or for sure. Fireplaces. So some people are just like stealing good wood, which I'm not stealing it. It's out there to be taken, but yes. they're taking it and using it for other purposes. It's kind of yeah. like when you uh, rummage through, like you'll see people rummaging through apartment complex dumpsters, like during when college kids move out. Oh, yeah. If it's at the dumpster, you're not really stealing it. Yeah, you're no. not really stealing it. Yeah, it's, it's no. dumpster diving at that point. Did you see that? that other H-E-B? man's trash is another man's treasure. Did you see what happened at that oh, H-E-B man, that was where that was they yeah. lost? Yeah, they lost power for a while. Mm-hmm. Basically, like their regulations say that if you lose power for a certain amount of time, you got they can't sell the food. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, they threw it out. But, I mean, basically, it was still kind of good food. So yeah. Yeah. people went dumpster diving. It was like, nah, we're going to take that to the crib. Yeah. I ain't mad at him. I heard Jeff's <laughs> stories from back in raise the day. Your, raise your hand if you've ever worked at HEB and eaten expired yogurt. Show of hands. No? Uh, I'm sure I've eaten something expired. <laughs> oh, yeah, that, I've that, eaten them before. Commercial. Expired. 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 Yeah. <laughs> I'm, the, I'm the goof in the back with, like, a spoon. Like, hey, this tastes fine. <laughs> well, technically, they do say you could eat it beyond that date. Right. She had. That's the sell-by date, not expiration date. Yes, because 60 Minutes did a special about yeah. that, actually. So you can't do no, it. No, that sell-by date, it's got, it's got to go. Yeah, I used to do that. point on the wood, man, I know that, like, my brother goes every year to get barbecue wood. It's like, you know, these oh. days, 150 bucks for, like, half a quart or something. Oh, go out yeah, to Oak Hill to buy. Right now, it's a good point. You can find I, you some good that's what I'm saying. So I bet some of those barbecue joints, they just rolling around the hood just yep. like, hey, man, I'm taking that right there. That's what yep. I used to love about working HGB when I worked in produce, like fruit. It's like, you know, okay, we can't sell this. We got to throw it out. I'm like, it's perfect good cantaloupe. I ain't getting thrown out. I'm going to eat this on my break. Yeah, or it's misshapen or something. <laughs> yeah, so I'll take it. Like, hey, as long as it's good, it's good. Yeah, no, I'm with you on that. Put the damn sticker on it. Uh, but no, we hope everybody out there is doing great. That's why we couldn't have a show last week because the studio that we're in had no power all wow. week. Nope. So. Even if we wanted to record the Longhorn Blitz, we couldn't. And then Matt lost power at some point. So we're like, you know what? It, it, I think that's just a higher power telling us, just shelve the Blitz this week and we'll come back next week strong, like yeah. uh, with a normal episode. So uh, w- there's a lot we haven't talked about. One being the Big 12 schedule release. And Rod, I, I just, Texas fans, I love you. And I love the, <laughs> I love the passion and, and I love the, the, uh, the confidence when schedule release time comes out. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. I'm really confused how the release of the Big 12 schedule has altered like expectations and wind ceiling. Like, did you, did you expect that the conference schedule was going to be really hard? And now all of a sudden, it's not. Help, help, walk me through this, Rod, because I don't, I don't know how. You know, Texas fans had a certain expectation coming off the season. Then you see the schedule release, like ten wins is the floor. Ten is the floor. Yeah. Like, 
No, I How think, did we get here? Uh, a lot of Longhorn fans expected, you know, it's going out on the grassy knoll here. We a lot of conspiracy theories going out, going out, going around the Longhorn Nation about the Big Twelve and their treatment of Texas since the announcement that they were going to the SEC along with Oklahoma, and there was a belief before the schedule came out. I think that they were going to screw Texas somehow. Yeah, somehow mm-hmm. Texas would get shafted by the Big Twelve because this is something the Big Twelve could control, and you know, just you know, like the Jalen Ford, uh, you know, defensive player of the year, defensive player of the year, and uh, some of the officiating, mm-hmm. uh, you know, lopsided officiating uh, numbers and instances during the season. There were a couple of those, but Oklahoma State, I think, probably being the most obvious, uh, but. Either way, I think Longhorn fans expected there to be a conspiracy theory that they could throw out there about how the Big 12 was working against Texas because of the schedule. And actually, that did not happen. So I think the <laughs> for Longhorn fans, there's almost this jubilation and joy that, oh, I thought the schedule would be much tougher because I thought the Big 12 would set Texas up for failure. And whether that's true or not, they did. that's not the case. The schedule is favorable. It's a yeah. very favorable schedule for Texas in the new big, the new look Big Twelve, at least for the temporary new look Big Twelve. There were two things that I I wanted. I was only two things I was focused on with the schedule because I mean Joseph Duarte, the Houston Chronicle reported months ago. Excuse me, I'm getting over a little cold. Um, Joseph Duarte reported months ago that Texas was going to play U of H in Houston, mm-hmm. and and everything I'd heard behind the scenes backed that up. Um. I'd heard Monday night at the Texas Baylor basketball game. I'll just say from someone in the Baylor administration who would really have knowledge of what the schedule was going to look like, that Texas was indeed going to make the trip to Waco. Uh, And TCU leaked their schedule on accident early that week. And uh, it ended up with uh, Texas was going to make the trip to Fort Worth. So I was like, well... You know, and I probably figured Texas Tech's coming here. So West Virginia, Iowa State, one of them is probably going to follow the schedule. I figured Texas was going to play BYU because because of the Sark angle. That's just too juicy of a matchup to to leave off. So I kind of knew what the schedule, what the kind of the framework of it. And obviously, OU is going to be on there. Whatever the the two things I really wanted to know were when does the bye week come, and when is the BYU game if there is one. So the bye week comes right after the OU game. Yep. Texas and OU both get a bye after that game. I can't remember a time when they both had a bye week coming off of that game. Yeah. I, th- I think it's probably maybe that's something to do with both of them leaving potentially after this year. I have no idea. I don't know. It's just it's the way it worked. And the BYU game, so for Texas, it's OU, bye, at U of H, BYU at home. I would much rather have the BYU game in late October, then either have it early in the year when you really haven't gotten a good scouting look at BYU because the guys coming back from LDS missions, like trying to figure out BYU's roster in the offseason, it's like a fool's errand because there's just so many unknowns. I didn't want, So you didn't want it early in the year, and you didn't want it late in the year where you're beat up, you've run through the schedule, and now you got to go play BYU which everybody knows what you're getting into when you play BYU from a physicality standpoint. And maybe it's just a Taysom Hill PSD, and I'm just thinking way too much about BYU. But the fact that the bye week comes after OU and then two weeks after the bye you get BYU, that rod to me is the really good part of the schedule if you're a Texas fan looking at it. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I like that you do have two of your toughest, most physical opponents back-to-back at home. 
that's your back to back. You get K State and you get BYU. They're both back to back at home. Um, you do. I mean, the, the the road trips to me is where you really see Texas getting some some love. Somehow. Yeah. I don't know how it happened, but they only have two games outside the state of Texas. Um, right, mm-hmm. one in the Big Twelve. That's Iowa State, and then you got the the game against Bama. It's only two for for my media travel. That's, that's only two plane trips in a twelve game regular season. Like that's that's amazing. Yeah, and strangely enough, I don't know how it worked out this way. That I believe only Texas and Kansas have the luxury of not having to play a Big Twelve opponent after a bye. Like they don't have like their opponents don't have a bye before they play Texas. Gotcha. Like Texas yeah. doesn't have an opponent that has a bye right before they right. play Texas. Yeah. And neither does Kansas either, which is strange too. Yeah, well, that's a good setup to have yeah. because you want to at least have if you are going to pick a spot in a bye, it's somewhere around that Oklahoma, Houston, BYU area because yeah, I mean you don't want one necessarily right out the gate after an Alabama game. So finding one between your toughest games of the conference schedule. That's at least the time that you wouldn't mind having it. Other than that, though, yeah, just not having to necessarily go. You didn't have anything quirky happen where you're going back to Lubbock back-to-back years or back to you know Manhattan back-to-back years the way in years past you've seen when conference change and realignment that the schedules and consistencies can work against you, at least this time. It looks pretty good, and you don't even have to go to Provo, so that's, that's awesome. That's really good. I'm surprised they didn't do that because of the Sark storyline. Yeah, you don't have to go to Morgantown. Yeah. Yeah, don't have to play Oklahoma State. This is actually a good year to play Oklahoma State, but you don't have to. Yeah, and they've had, had Texas number. For the it's going to be kind of weird not seeing that game. Some kind of weird not seeing that game on the schedule. I'm surprised that they didn't put Texas against Oklahoma State somehow. But I'm mm-hmm. trying to think of what they would have sacrificed, and I guess it, it would have been tough because I think they wanted them to play at least two of the new members. Yeah, yeah, which they did. They and, played two of the new members. Yeah, but when going at Iowa State, out of if it's not a state team and. That would be maybe the game that you do it, but you went to Okie State last year, so if they need to keep the ab- amount of road games for both you know, parts yeah. of your schedule even, that's probably why they chose us to go to Iowa State instead. Rod, has this, all, has this changed your expectation for the wind floor or the wind ceiling? Because like I said, it hasn't with me because the schedule was going to be what the schedule was going to be, and I, like, I don't think adding BYU or not having Oklahoma State or not having West Virginia, like, to me, it's just, it doesn't, it almost doesn't matter to me. Like, the, the Big 12, That's fair. it's so competitive, it's so it's so even, especially in the middle. I don't think it matters. To me, and I, I said this at the after when we talked about the kind of the big picture after the Alamo Bowl, I'll say it now, and you'll get tired of me saying it because I'll say it all offseason. I don't care how many games this team wins. It's all about however many it takes for you to get to Arlington. If that's nine, if that's ten, whatever it is, as long as you're in Arlington in early December playing for a conference championship, that to me is the bar. That's the measure of did you have a successful year or not? Did you grow and did you improve or not if you're playing for that Big 12 championship? Well, you can't. you got to win more than eight games, though. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So even if the Big 12 becomes a total mess and it becomes like a, a bad conference overall and a fuster cluck, Texas should separate, and Texas got to win more than the games. If you don't, people will deem this as a regression of a year or, oh, man, maybe Sark is – maybe it's, we, it, hit, it plateaued. So that's why, to me, it is pretty simple. You have to win more than eight games, and you have to be represented in the Big 12 title. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. If you don't win more than eight games, 
um, and you're in the Big 12 title. I don't know if you could say it was a a, a, a failure, but you can't say really it was a success. I mean, that's you still you just may have been the beneficiary of being in a bad conference. So you got to win more than eight games. And it's say you don't make it to the Big 12 title like we did, and you're still a double digit win team. You know what? That you know that's something else Longhorn fans got to consider. If the Big Twelve is really good, I don't know if it's going to yeah. be that good. Yeah, because you got Bama this <laughs> yeah, year too. So you got, your record, like yeah. that's a tough non-con. So, so you got to defend home field. If you look at Texas's schedule, Texas doesn't have any, any really tough. I mean, you got BYU, you got Tech, you got K State, but you your home games you should probably be able to win your home games. That's six right there, and that just means you know Alabama's going to be tough. Oklahoma's always tough, and that leaves you with at Baylor, at Houston, at TCU, and at Iowa State. And those are all teams that if you feel like you have improved, you should be able to at least go there and have competitive games. Hopefully, their coin flips. You win. If you're really good, you should beat them all. But in that regard, that would put you right at that 8-10 to 10 precipice. If you're really good, you have a chance to win them all, and that comes down to the Alabama and Oklahoma games. My, my childhood, like, like – uh... Eight-year-old Jeff loves the fact that there is a heavy Southwest Conference flavor on this schedule between Rice, Baylor, Tech, TCU, U of H. But, Rod, this goes back to something that we talked about, I don't know, probably six, seven, eight years ago, is I know Mac took a lot of flack taking pride in in winning the Texas State Championship, Mm -hmm. but this really is one of those years. If you win all your games in the state of Texas, what does that leave you with? That leaves you with... The Iowa State game on the road and the Bama game. Yeah, if you're talking about in the state or in state played inside homes, the state yeah. of Texas. Yeah. This, yeah. So this year, like this is one of the years where if you if you win the state championship, if you beat, if you win all of your games played in the state of Texas, yeah, you're probably going to be playing for the conference championship and maybe more at that point. Honestly, that's always been the case, though. Right. Like, it, that's, this, that, this that was kind of max point. It. Yeah, like the max point was that no, if we just win all of our home games and it beat Oklahoma, there's a good chance we're going to beat. Most of the teams we play on the road anyway, so that should always be the case, which goes back to why Texas, in terms of the Big 12, should have should have played more Big 12 titles at this point. Now you're reflecting on Texas leaving the Big 12. Mm-hmm. It's you know It was a disappointing tenure in the Big 12. I wrote that. Because uh, Oklahoma yeah. won more Big 12 titles than you played They're for. They're like Kansas basketball. <laughs> it's absurd. When you look at yeah, Kansas basketball and Oklahoma football, so, it's more than 75% for both of them. Yeah, so there wasn't a case in the Southwest Conference, but in the Big 12 – disappointing mm-hmm. representation from Texas in the Big 12 over, overall, if you only got the overall 20-whatever years. I, I wrote it, that. 25 uh, years, whatever. The morning, started off well. Started I, off really good. I wrote that the morning after uh, K-State beat Kansas and secured their place in the title game. And I started thinking about it, and I'm like, you know, when Texas won the conference title in 09, that was their third. And I think at the time... Maybe they were tied with Nebraska for the second most at that point, I think. And Oklahoma didn't have half of what they end up having now. But I started thinking about, man, like at that point, you're like, okay, Texas, you're probably going to get, I don't know, in the next decade, probably another two or three. So you're probably going to be at five or six before you know it. And since then, Baylor's tied you. K-State has tied you. Oklahoma State's won one. TCU has won one. Like, all the teams in this league that have gotten a piece of it, Iowa State's played for one, uh, that have either tied for it, won it outright, gotten a piece of it. Yeah, I think that's that, that this run of futility, Rod, that's really reinforced what you just said when you write the book on Texas tenure in the Big 12. 
there were some great moments, but the the body of work, when you look at the mean, you look at the really good and the really bad, it meets in the middle and it almost meets right in the middle. It's like, okay, you were you were good, average, somewhere like that, but you weren't great, not near as good as you could have been no. for your whole stay in the conference. No, uh, and the Shakespearean tragedy of it all is that arguably – Based on recruiting rankings, you've been the most talented team in the conference for the last 20 years. Should have been. Yep, and you shouldn't take anything for granted. <laughs> when you are good, it's like yeah. the, the whole Mac mm-hmm. era and that, that whole decade was, by the end of it, taken so for granted. Yeah. That the, and Texas got such a big mm-hmm. ego that we're Texas and we're just always going to be Texas. Meanwhile, everybody else caught up to Texas and, in theory, mm-hmm. passed them up on the football field for a decade. I, I was always saying, like, if Mac knew now – what he knew then, he wouldn't have hated that 2007 team as much as he said he did. Like he <laughs> talked about, I talked about that 07 team. Like didn't like him, didn't like him, weren't focused, never good knew what motivating I was get. factor though because yeah. they came out good in 08. That team, yes. that team won 10 games, won a won a bowl game, and finished the game people. Something like and that. Mac hated that team. Yeah, because he realized they were they they underachieved though. Yeah. Right, he he knew how much talent was on those teams, and then. Like Matt just said, 08 proved it. Yes. Yeah. Like, okay, they did underachieve because yeah. <laughs> they came out fire like gangbusters in, in 08. But, yeah, I mean, that's I just, that's a story going, you know, into the SEC. We don't know how long we're going to be in the Big 12, um, if you're going to be here till 2025 or not. But going into the SEC, I think the, you know, the the focus should be for Texas to get back to contending for championships because a lot of people are like, oh, man, we got to get the hell out of the Big 12. You know, I, I've never been in a rush to just get out of the Big 12 and go to the SEC. I can't wait till it happens. It's going to be great. Um, but, man, there's a lot to work on. A lot of boxes to check. Yeah. <laughs> so, and Sark's doing a good job. Can't win the Big job. 12. It's Sark, real tough. Exactly. Sark's doing a good job checking those boxes. This is another year where, yeah, it, hell, you've only played four, what, seven Big 12 titles? Go play for one. It hadn't happened that often mm-hmm. here in Texas. <laughs> it's been, what, five years since Texas last played for a yeah. Big 12 title? Yeah. And it, before it, that, it was 09. Before that was 09. And, I mean, if you look at it, like, yeah. 96. It was 05. It's basically happening every five to it. six, seven years. It, those first eight years when you had 96, you won it. 99, you went. No, one again or the 02 season. Then you go in 05, and then you think it's going to be there every year, even though you get screwed in 08. And then 09 happens, and after, ever since then, it's been nothing. Yeah. So, I, to me, I'm with you. Big, Just play in the Big 12 top. It was like, oh, you got to win it? No, no, no. Just go play in it. Like, what, what if that's, you're, that's a I, great step forward for Even Sark. the last time we went, we're back, and then no, we Hypothetically, aren't. No. right? Say you do something similar to what TCU did. Let's say you lose to Bama, but you win the rest of your games. If you're 11-1, and one, you go to the Big 12 championship game. But let's say it's, uh, I don't know, say it's a rematch with TCU. And TCU, I'm just just hypotheticals, right? Uh, TCU beats you. Mm-hmm. Or whoever your rematch is, they beat you. Well, you finish eleven and two, but are you going to say that was a disappointment since you didn't win the conference? You won eleven games. Exactly, what I'm saying. Like it's you once you get to that postseason, once you get to that championship I, or playoffs, if you get if to double digit wins, I think then the definition of success will change depending mm-hmm. on what the situation is. But yeah, I think that's for Sark. It's pretty simple. You got to win more than eight games. If you get to double digit wins, that's awesome. Even if you don't don't even play for a Big Twelve title, we get it because. Ish happens, and I would. I think we all agree. Play in the Big Twelve title, so it's pretty much a three to me a three item checklist for him. Mm-hmm. Got to win more than eight games. Got to play for a Big Twelve title. 
and it'd be great if you could win double digits games. That should put you in the conversation, though. Yeah, because for sure. after the bowl game, mm-hmm. you should be by then in the double digit win conversation. Yeah, you know, this year you should have had nine. Yeah, and because the double-digit conversation nowadays is a lot different than even when you played, Rod, when, I mean, that was the beginning of teams starting to play 12 regular season games. Like, Mm -hmm. it used to be 11, and that's why a 10-win season was a big deal because when you add in the 12th bowl game, that means you're 10-2, and you're looking good, but then you add in conference championship game, and now we're talking about 14-game seasons almost for, at minimum, for the good teams, not even counting the playoffs, so... If you have 10 regular season wins, that's sort of that barometer of getting around elite because that's sort of like where the elite teams were back in the day when you could win nine and then your 10th be a bowl game, be considered a 10-win team. So if you were getting back to that elite level, yeah, 10 regular season, that's the bar you want to be if you're Texas every year. That's where you feel confident that you have a chance, especially going to the SEC is a whole other different story because the schedule is going to be even tougher there. And you can see teams in, like, because you have so many teams in the SEC, if you're going to have 14, add two more, 16, you need to have 10 wins in the SEC to get to the SEC championship game most of the time. So, like, it's going to be tough to do. So that standard's a lot different than it used to be. No, I I think you're right, Rod, the more I think about it, because for your conference record, 7-2, and I have to look back at this, I think 7-2 and should, like, guarantee you get to Arlington. And that's Uh, a lose to Alabama. That's a, you know, 9-3 season. You're 9-3 in the conference championship game. If you win the conference, you're 10-3 and going to a bowl game, Mm -hmm. uh, a New Year's Six at that point. Yep. Or you're 9-4. and but going to a lesser bowl game, you can win a bowl game. So, yep. and there'll be expectations to win a bowl game this time mm-hmm. because obviously last bowl game you did not. So yeah. that will also show. It was just trying to show baby steps of progress. Yeah. And I think you know we're trying to be realistic about it. Uh, and that's really tough for Longhorn fans to be realistic about stuff. But so I did a really good job this year. There was talent development improvement uh, across mm-hmm. the board, almost at every different position. Um, now just need to see it happen again. Just more growth from him as a coach and also from the team. And if they do that, I think they'll be playing for a Big 12 title. That's where I wanted to go next because I I started kind of – I haven't gone down the rabbit hole yet and looked at all the staff changes, but I started thinking about, you know, Rod, you have the the comment that if you're a blue blood and you hire a coach, it shouldn't take you that long to figure out if you got the right guy. No. Mm -hmm. And I thought about Tom Herman's initial staff and Charlie Strong's initial staff. And related to Sark's initial staff. And, you know, you, we had the Chris Jackson hire, and we talked about hypothetically what that would mean before it was official, but it was headed down that road at that point. So that was a couple podcasts ago. So you can uh, go to the podcast feed and check that out. We won't rehash everything there. But I started thinking about this uh, in regards to our Notre Dame site at 24 7 Sports does a really good job. Irish Illustrated does. And they were looking at, like, over the, over the, like, the, they took the past, like, 10 or 12 years or actually started it with Charlie Weiss and looked at staff changes and mm. how do you go from one year to the next when you retain, yep. you know, all but two or two or two or three fewer coaches or, you know, if you have more than two coaching changes, like how does it impact you year to year? Yep. And I started thinking about that in relation to Sark staff. I'm like, you know, the player, de- the development piece that we saw this year across the world, like we said, every position group from 21 to 22 got better. Maybe you, maybe wide receiver. You can have the debate, debate about wide receiver. Yeah, you can have the debate there. Mm-hmm. You can. Every other position group got better. Yeah. And you got a new wide receiver coach. And mm-hmm. again, I started thinking about this in relation to the Warren Roberson commitment, which that signing was finally made official this morning uh, as we record this. I started thinking about, man, you know, in years past, like Blake Gideon didn't get rave reviews year one. And in years past, there would have been a temptation to, ah, man, just 
just fire him, just get another safeties coach. And I understand with Blake, like that's tougher to do because he's a member of DBU. He's you know his family is yeah, and his dad's a high school. His dad was a former high school coach, and he's got a lot of connections. So it's not that easy to just move on from him. But no, Sark took took a look at his staff and decided, you know what, I need a, I need a new receivers coach. I need to get somebody better in here, and he upgraded with Brennan Marion. Mm-hmm. So I, I think. Am I just thinking too hard about it, Rod, or do I feel like Sark is looking at the staff? He's not sitting on his hands and being reluctant to make changes like we saw Tom Herman do at times. And I think that's one of those deals, the Sugar Bowl win for Tom Herman, I think clouded some staff changes that probably needed to be made going into 19 that weren't once you got to 10 wins and a top 10 ranking at the end and all that fun stuff that goes along with winning a New Year's Six game. That's fair. And he's definitely not where Charlie was where – in the year one, you're like, dude, there's some guys that got to go. Uh, Sark, it seems like he's been patient, let things play out, and it feels like the staff, for the first time since maybe Mac's initial staff, going into year three is in a really good place. And you're not talking about, man, I got to replace this guy because he's not good. I'm having to, I'm having good coaches move on to other jobs. Mm-hmm. Brendan Marion takes a play calling job. Mm-hmm. Stan Drayton takes a head coaching job. And I'm having to find really good coaches to replace them with to keep this going. Hadn't been that way around this place in a long time. Yeah, no, I agree with that. I mean, he yep. has done a. I think that a, makes sense. I know it's a lot no, of rambling. No, 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 no it, it makes perfect sense. sense. Yeah, we've been yelling about continuity for yeah, a decade. It's just been very a volatile uh, process around here with new coaches, um, and then of course the turnover. Right, we talked about the defensive coordinator. I mean, it's. At every position, pretty much, you've had a ton of turnover mm-hmm. in the last 10 years here at Texas. And not for the good reasons, like Nick Saban, where guys exactly. are getting hired for. It's been bad type of turnover where you have to fire coaches and you're trying to upgrade coaches. And it just leads to a lot of distrust within the coaching staff and a lot of inconsistency with the development because different terminology, different coaching styles, different mm-hmm. teaching styles, all that kind of stuff. Personalities. And, yeah, and I, I, I'll give credit to I, – I, th- I do think that the – you know, those behind the scenes, CDC and, you know, Kevin L. Tyfe and Jay Hartzell, I think they considered that and, and had a conversation with Sark, like, hey, man, you got to make good hires early mm-hmm. on. We cannot have so much inconsistency. Mm-hmm. And, to, and so even after the 5-7 and seven season, that could have been a lot. Like you said, that was, the, that was the test of whether I think they would stick to their, you know, the, their philosophy of, all right, let's, let's, let's stop the turnover and let's try to get some consistency, some continuity with this different. coaching staff, a little synchronicity with this group. Let's just see if we can, you know, start here. And this, it'll, it was at a deficit because you were five and seven. We can start here. We can revamp this roster and really start to to develop some of this talent that we just brought in. Yep. And I think they did a really good job with that. They only had one true turnover, and that was at the wide receiver position. Andre Coleman, I think we said that was a mistake when he kept Andre Coleman. So I'm glad that even Sark saw that, took him a season to see it. But it was still a, a, a nice upgrade by him to go get Brendan Marion. Mm-hmm. And now the Chris Jackson thing. And I, the Chris Jackson hire makes perfect sense because you wanted a technician. Because you, your wide receivers last year, the dry, I've been trying to study what happened to the passing game. Because it is, it's it's mysterious. Because you thought it it doesn't make sense talent wise as to why Texas has such a drop off in the passing game, considering Quinn Ewers upgrade there, and you know we talked about X Men and J T Sanders ascent. So Isaiah Nayor's absent, yeah, it was big, but you never even had him as a part of your mm-hmm. equation. So for to, to blame him for the regression in the passing game seems ludicrous to me. So anyway, been studying that, but we'll get into that later on. Uh, but my, my point is that with the regression in the passing, a lot of it is, I think, more of it than we were willing to recognize on 
just wide receiver development overall. And yeah, I love my man Brandon Mary. He was fantastic. But yeah, I mean, that was a ton of regression there and erratic development at that position. Strange because you like you said, every other position across the board, we saw almost wholesale improvement and development. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and we did a And maybe he just needed more time because the rest of those guys, that was the only turnover. Yeah. That was yeah, your true. only turnover, really. No, running uh, backs, coach. Yeah, running backs. Running back position. We talked about right, that though. But, in terms of coaching. Well, we need to get into that. That's why that's why you have your best recruiters. <laughs> Nothing against the short choice. But all across the board, all across yeah. college football, you put guys at running back position who really aren't great coaches. Sorry, Bucky, I'm not talking about you either. But <laughs> that aren't necessarily great coaches or technicians of the game teaching fundamentals, because running back is a natural position where you kind of organically can transition. That's why a true freshman can come out there and ball out yeah. at running back. Mac Brown learned later on because it does it's not that yeah. it's not that tech, it's not that technically uh, sound position where you have to be proficient fundamentally. It's like no, no, no. you can just go out there, just running with the football. Use your instincts. Guy, he's got great eyes. He's got great cutting ability. He he's got a great feel for the game. He's physical. He can go out there and it can translate. And Bucky knows that too because he yeah. he's closed on Ricky and closed on you know. Everybody he, knows. Recruiting yeah. was so recruiting big. Recruiting is big, and, and that's why I think show. also the Brennan Marion hiring aspect. You know, you maybe didn't necessarily fully get him for his ability to coach wide receivers. We talked all about the go go offense. And bringing in a mind to come in and help, you know, Sark widen his scope of uh, offense and being able to build this foundation. And you know, to your point about you know Worthy and, and Nayor, it wasn't necessarily Nayor being something that you lost, but it's just change morphing the roles of a young guy and making Worthy become in a role that he wasn't in the year before. So when you add in, well, maybe you don't have the technician or the technicalities that comes with the wide receivers coach because you're bringing in a guy for his breadth of football knowledge. And then when you are hoping that your awesome receiver last year can continue to grow and maybe progress into a different role in a featured role and take on more of a workload and maybe he wasn't able to do it as well within the offense and with the young quarterback, and then the play calling it just all coupled together, and then you see the drop situation where across the board you had a little bit higher of a rate from all your receivers as a team when you compile it together. It just sort of adds up to where like that's the one spot where you saw a little regression in the production. So I, I, I was told about this. This was on Brendan Marion's Instagram account that uh, – he took a snapshot, a screenshot, a snapshot, screenshot. <laughs> oh, man. Of, yeah. Damn, I just sounded old. <laughs> of a PFF with their top 10 returning receivers for 2023. Xavier Ward was fourth. And Brennan Marion mm-hmm. put the caption on it and said, imagine people saying you can't catch and you play the entire season with a broken hand and still lead the conference in touchdowns. Rod is <laughs> – I always, I always worry about this with player injuries. Should you come out and say something after the fact, or does that, from a player standpoint, and I, I need you to put your player hat on. Because we all saw the it, cast nowadays, so yeah, there's something that it, he was dealing with. As a player, do you worry about, no, I'm not going to say anything about it publicly because that just looks like I'm making an excuse for dropping Or giving balls. the opponent's information to. No, I, but I'm talking about at, like after the fact, like not during the season, because that's, oh, gotcha, that's a gotcha. Sark thing during the season. Like, yeah. coach would want you to disclose it. Yeah, but after exactly. the fact, do you, you want to try to hide it and say that, no, I'll just put it behind me and get better? Or do you worry about it making it sound like, no, people are going to think I'm making excuses, so I'm, not, I'm just not even going to talk about it. Um. Uh. Yeah. I think everybody's different. I'm. I'll probably be more the latter. I think everybody's different, though. I mean, injuries are a part of the game. Right. Yeah. 
I mean, literally, yeah. you, if you, he you can't lying. stay healthy, that's what gets you cut from NFL teams. Some mm-hmm. guys, they can't stay healthy. Yeah. Some guys have to change lifestyles like Jay Witt just to try to stay healthy. They got to do three, four hours a day of extra prep and work and stretching and warming up and warming down just to stay healthy. Other guys don't have to do that. That's life. That's part of it. All right. Mm-hmm. So part of the responsibility and the burden of being a football player is playing through pain. Trying to play through, trying to figure out whether you're hurt or injured and how much you're negatively affecting your team if you're out there injured, as opposed to the guy behind you yep. who, no, he's not as good of a player as you are, but you're at 75%. Is his 100% better than your 75% right now? You got to make that determination too. So, yeah, I mean, that's why I, I think it's, you know, you can make excuses if you want to as a player, like, oh man, that's why my play regressed. You're going to be hurt again. Mm-hmm. If you're going to play at the next level, X man, you're gonna be hurting the NFL at one day, and you want to play through the pain. And if you can't, then your NFL career won't last that long. You'll be like where I be. I mean, that's the reality of the game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's why the game is. It's why it's a. It's it's tough to play it, and not all the time. You know, is it someone's you know lack of um, work ethic that's hurting them? Honestly, some guys just can't physically deal with the trauma of the game and play through that, you know, that physicality and playing through that type of, um, you know, that, that type of physical contact rep by rep. It's, it's really tough for a, a lot of guys to do. And you've articulated it so well just on this show over the years talking about it that, like, even, like, somebody like you is, like, you weren't born a physical freak like LeBron. Like, there's a reason why LeBron James is set to break Kareem's record tonight in points, possibly, or next game, because some people just physically have a body that exactly. is just on its own level. Otherwise, like you were saying, like, you, some people have less, you know, size. But then because your perseverance and you work and you do everything within your human body to be able to perform, but still sometimes – that stuff's going to break down in a game like football, and that stuff's exactly. going to happen. So it comes with the territory, especially if we're talking about, I mean, X-Man's probably the slightest receiver in size yeah. in all of college football. That's why it was amazing that he showed up and was able to do what he did at, like, literally 160 pounds. Yeah. Like, he's the tiniest receiver, If you not even talking about height, just, like, slight of frame like there are other guys that are a lot more compact than him but like he's given up even to a small db 20 pounds so it's something that's going to happen all the time and then when you add that like say this injury specifically being a hand one could maybe explain certain things in his game that were weaknesses that you didn't see the year before but it's a game of football at some point something else is probably going to break down if you're that small it's it's why there's a skill in being Ted Ginn Jr. and Ted Ginn Jr. knew how to find out of bounds his entire career yep. and do it Deshaun Jackson was still playing in the league this year cuz he found out a way to not be hit because some of those guys when you have that size in diminutive stature you just got to find a way to survive in survival of the fittest and that's something that expand you know as a young player in college it probably takes some time to learn that too not right yep. I don't want to go off on an NFL tangent, but, Rod, it's what you've been saying about quarterbacks for years. There are smart runners. There are runners who aren't smart. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Russell Wilson, smart runner. Now, Patrick uh, Mahomes and Joe Burrow, those smart. guys run only RG3, on not a smart runner. No. Cam Newton really wasn't a smart runner. No. But he didn't, he didn't learn to be because he was a physical physical freak yeah. who was bigger than, what, 70%, 80% of the defenders trying to tackle him. So he had thought it was fun to run over yeah. defenders, D-backs, until he realized, oh, man, that it's taking its toll. Look yeah. at I'm Andrew actually Luck. not the same player I used to be. Andrew Luck was one of those guys who said, 
I like to get hit early on uh, because it wakes me up. I feel more, you know, a part of the game. Survival. I, uh, but, yeah, that's actually not a smart move. Right. You need to avoid the collisions. And that's something, yeah, X-Man, I'm sure you can learn that too. That like, yeah. hey, man, Take you know time. what, you got to – maybe that extra couple of yards is not worth yeah. it for you. Yeah. Uh, maybe you need to just get out of bounds. Tunnel screen, exactly. Or go, or go down a little bit. Or I've seen guys who have the, they've learned the art of going down right before they're tackled. Yeah. And you almost think they're tackling. It's like, nah, he actually knew he was going to get tackled. And some guys fight through contact because they're like, no, I'm Debo Samuel. Yes. You're going to have to take three or four guys to tackle me. And that's great. That's a great mentality to have. But it, it works against longevity. Yeah, it's game. also why but Debo the game leaves. is not meant for you to play that long. Exactly. You're trying to be Tom Brady and go play the game you want the way you want to play yeah, the game. Yeah, exactly. I've, I've, <laughs> I've heard this all the time about uh, pro wrestlers. Pro wrestlers have this mindset yeah. that there's only so many flat back bumps on that mat the human body can stand. Exactly. For some guys, they only get might get three years out of it. Some guys are lucky to get ten. If you're one of those freaks like Ric Flair, you could do it in your seventies. Amazing. Then. <laughs> Okay, whatever, but there's only so much the human body can take before it just says, I'm done. I can't take anymore. Yep. Stop doing this. Totally agree. And I I know that gets us off on a tangent, but let's say, let's go down this road. Let's say Xavier Worthy did play this year with a broken hand. All right. If he has a broken, a legitimate broken hand, why is he gobbling up such a large percentage of your targets in the passing game? That's why. That's he, the thing. I have yeah. a bigger problem. But that's yeah, why the open. assumption would be that he, he didn't have a like. It wasn't severely broken. Because yeah. I'm with you. I think if it was severe, coach would say, "All right, we're hurting the team now yeah. by force feeding the football to Xavier Worthy." Yeah, and that's where also a player could be playing through the pain, and you know something that he maybe isn't fully disclosing all the way. It's something that you saw the Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes have had to deal with over time in recent years, you know, because like of mo- almost all players want to play. A lot of the times players are not even going to be fully honest, like the way Tua has always been a guy that hadn't been fully honest. Like it took Mike McDaniels looking at film to go to him and be like, well, why were you making these decisions? They were very erratic. They're on that Christmas game against the Packers because, yep. like, you're staying out there. And it's the same idea if you're a guy like Worthy, you know, and maybe he didn't start out broken. Maybe it just hurt a little bit. But by the end of the year and you're catching this many balls or whatever, it could probably, because it seemed to get worse if you just look at the number of drops by the game. So it sort of naturally just seems like it makes sense. Yes, sir. It's, it's one of those deals. It could be one of those deals, too, where maybe you didn't really find out about it until after the season and sure. you got an x-ray. Because, Rod, it could be a deal like one of your former teammates talked about, Anthony Johnson, talked about one camp. He's like, he kept trying like three or four, to Chip Robertson had gobbled in like three or four pairs of shoes. He's like, I don't know, he's hurt my feet. I don't know why. I keep going through shoes. And then he gets an x-ray. He's like, oh, you got a broken foot. Yeah. Damn. That's crazy. That's it's why like, your shoes don't fit, right? You got a broken foot. To yeah, your own point, I broke crazy. my leg and walked around on it for the rest yeah, of the night crazy. and for two full days until it was a Tuesday. And I was like, yeah, this isn't just a rolled ankle. And it ended up being something very similar to Mahomes at the top of your fibula meets the tibula, and that's where mine snapped. I didn't think it did, but like that was just me walking around with what I thought was a rolled ankle. Yeah, that's so, so what Anthony Johnson said when he came back. He that's said, crazy, man. Said he got I, like through the fourth or fifth. The chip gave him like the fourth or fifth pair of shoes. He was like. I'm just going to go get that thing x-rayed just to be sure. He's like, I don't know. It feels fine. It's like, oh, you got a broken foot. Yeah. Well, because you play through pain, right? That's yeah. what you're coached to do. That's part of the game. And Ro- if you're Rojo was just at the senior bowl, broke his hand mm-hmm. in the beginning of practice, played through the entire practice and worked through the entire practice, and then found out after practice that he broke his hand. Yeah. And then they were like, all right, well, we're going to shut you down. I mean, that's uh, I, there's tons of stories out there like that because you Chris are Sims's programmed finger. to make sure – 
I'm not going to lose my job mm-hmm. because of injury because, yeah, you can't make the club in the tub and you got to play through pain. It's just, a, and it's smart though. You got to realize pain tolerance, you know, there's a level to it. Um, there's a limit to it. But you, yeah, I mean, for the most part, every player has a story like that where, no, I just played through it. That decision, like the decision That's- Ronnie Lott had to make, you can have pinky surgery and you'll be out for the year or we can amputate it and you'll be out for a few weeks. Lop it off. Exactly. We talked about Chris it's Sims with his finger. I remember what was it, the uh, Tech or Nebraska game when he gets a pop back Nebraska. in. Nebraska. Nebraska on yeah. the field. But then, like, when he's up in the NFL and it's his livelihood and he gets hit really hard and he's telling people it hurts and then the coaches, John Gruden, get back out there and you end up having a ruptured spleen you're playing with. Well, like, it wasn't John Gruden. Something. It was him. him. I can tell you that right now. It yeah. wasn't John Gruden saying get out there. It was him saying he's well, going yeah, he out did. there. John Gruden was probably the one that said, dude, you probably need to go see the trainers. Um, and then I think he started pissing blood. He's programmed. And then and I believe when he peed, urinated blood, that's when they were like, all right, just, you're done, son. It just hurts. Yeah, yeah. And when you play, I mean, he's a guy that was raised in a family of football and like that. Exactly. So like you're Ron, programmed in you to go through. Pain. Exactly. Like, Ron, I'm glad for your wife and your dogs and your future kids and grandkids that like all of your ten fingers like extend fully and you can bend them. Everybody's seen a ball player or like something, a ring oh, finger, yeah. or middle finger is like, like all cock eyed and way. bent to the side. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yes. no, you're right. I mean, that's all O line. Every D-line NBA man. player is yeah. like that, too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. D-line players' receiver's feet fingers. are crazy yeah. like that. They're really bad. Wide receivers' fingers are like that, too, you know? Yeah. I had, man, I had lunch at Big Tour Media Days one year with Billy Ray Smith. I think Billy Ray Smith played 10 years in the league and DeMarco Farr. DeMarco Farr played for a long time in the league. Mm-hmm. And they were talking about old injuries, and DeMarco Farr looks at Billy Ray Smith. He goes, he goes, BR, show him the finger. And Billy Ray Smith stuck out his hand. I think it was his middle finger, like from the middle from the middle knuckle up. There was like no bone in it. Like the bone was so badly broken, it's just like he could bend it any kind of way. I'm like, oh. that is one of the grossest oh. things I've ever seen. That's disgusting. And this chicken and mashed potatoes suddenly doesn't look that good. So <laughs> <laughs> I think I think lunch is over. Um, but no, that's where I am on the Xavier Worthy thing. Like I said, if it, I'm with you, Rod, if it was that serious. Steve Sarkeesian's a lot of things. I don't think he's a blithering idiot where if a guy had, if his wide receiver had that big of a hand issue, he would just keep force feeding him the ball. Yeah, and I would think that in practice it would have shown too, like if he was dropping a lot of the passes in practice. So was he dropping passes in practice? That's what we know, need to know as well. Yeah. Because if he's, if, he's, if he's dropping passes like that in practice and then they're assuming, oh, no, he'll catch that in the game and then he doesn't catch it in the game, even if he was trying to hide the injury, there should have been a conversation like, all right, what's going on? What's going on next, mm-hmm. man? Like, you all right? And then there should have been a reveal between player and coach, that intimate relationship like, hey, coach, something's going on with my hand. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. All right, let's go get an x-ray. Then let's see how bad it is. And then we got to talk about contingency plans yeah. with the passing game. So, but they did, uh, that, was, that didn't happen, so I'm assuming he could play through it, or at least that's what he told the coaches. So I wanted to, just on the topic of the Warren Roberson situation, I mentioned it earlier, is, is signing with Texas. It was a poorly kept secret and. You know that got announced this morning, um, but Rod, I was thinking about the secondary. No, we talked a lot about the secondary, but I think that, and we talked about it all. You know, in the off season when we had the the pressure versus coverage discussion, yep. that they were devoting more resources to getting better on the back end, and it seems like that's really where, at least as long as PK is the defensive coordinator, that's where they're going to continue to focus is being better in coverage and making sure they've got the horses on the back end. Um, other than O line, in the third now the third off season under Sark, I don't know that there's a position group that's been overhauled more than the secondary in terms of what it looked like year one, 
shifting the pieces, adding pieces in year two, and now what you're doing in year three where you lose Anthony Cook, you lose Deshaun Jameson, but you've got Ryan Watts. You're probably going to elevate Terrence Brooks. Jade Barron's worked out at that star position, bringing in a lot of young talent in the recruiting class, Catalan out of the portal. Um, I just like the fact that that's – and every coach has different things that they value. Every defensive coordinator has different position groups that they value. Uh, it just seems like PK is of the mindset, and, and you know, by by proxy, Sark is too. Hey, we're gonna make sure that come hell or high water, regardless of what happens, we're gonna have an adequate number of capable bodies in the secondary. We're not gonna be left wanting in the secondary. Yeah, I think they want, and we'll see in the season goals. I think ideally, the vision is they want guys who can cover man to man in the mm-hmm. secondary. So not just bodies, guys who have a specific skill set, they can cover. They can cover man-to-man so that we can play man-to-man coverage on the back end, maybe with a you know a high safety, maybe zero coverage every now and then. But we can devote bodies to stopping the run. They know they're going to the SEC, um, and the SEC, the one thing you got to do, you got to stop the run. First and foremost, mm-hmm. Big 12 shifted. Remember, Big 12 became a stop the pass first league. Mm-hmm. And then after everybody started playing two high, you know, even three high uh, shell coverages, everybody started to run the football. And, and the ecosystem of the Big 12 changed. And we became a running league, which we are kind of in the process of now. I think it's shifting back actually a little bit too. I think uh, now you're starting to see teams run the ball more. So teams are putting more guys in the boxes off the run. And I think you're going to start seeing teams throw the ball more. That's just kind of the. You know, the evolution of it, the evolutionary adaptation that happens over and over mouse. again. Yeah, yeah it was ecosystem, and it's just evolution. It literally is. It's just, well, you're going to see it over and over again. The, big, the NFL is going through it right now, actually, too. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, but getting back to it, the SEC, though, is a league where you have to stop the run. As you've always pointed out, Jeff, it's a line of scrimmage league, mm-hmm. and that's why it's Texas and Sark have focused on a line of scrimmage. And after that line of scrimmage comes, the one-on-one battles on the outside. So what's happening on the line of scrimmage? Why is it so important? Well, it's so important because they're one-on-one battles battles happening up front and what you're trying to do is arrange these one-on-ones on the front somehow and then you got guys that can just straight up win one-on-ones that's why you're you know depending on what um you know what gap you want to put a player in uh take even what the way that kansas city uses chris jones they always they basically everything is built around chris jones getting a one-on-one <laughs> they mm-hmm. know that no offensive lineman can really block him one-on-one right. so they're like you know what let's just move him around we'll find the weak link mm-hmm. we'll sit we'll, we'll change up the front we'll change up the shades up front everything freaky shades bring up guys to mug the front, whatever it is, all built around. Uh, now Chris Jones is on that guy one-on-one. And I think Texas, when they find a war that they don't have one, they'll mm-hmm. operate that way too. But the reason that up front is, is so important is because you're going to need somebody that can win a one-on-one up there and get in the backfield to disrupt the run or can get in the backfield to pressure the quarterback. And then you flip to the other place where you have one-on-ones. Where is that? Secondary. Secondary is where you want to rest your one-on-one. So now Texas believes they got guys that can win up front, and they don't have enough of those, but they're getting more and more of them trying to stockpile those guys, especially in the interior. But now they need guys that can win on the back end one-on-ones. Ryan Watts was a step in the right direction. Jay Barron's a step in the right direction. They're hoping Terrence Brooks will be more of a liar as the field corner. But more importantly, you need safeties that can also cover man-to-man. Yeah. And that's the key. If Jaden Catalan ends up healthy, he's a guy that can do that. And Jaron Thompson's a guy that can cover man-to-man pretty well, too. So that's what they want to try to build. Yeah. I see the vision. Uh, we'll just see if they can go out there and execute it. And I, th- I think the safety position, too, is one of those – I talk about it all the time, man, off-ball linebacker safety. Those two positions have changed so much in the last five to ten years, mm-hmm. specifically the last five or five to seven years. And 
But I think as much, and even more so now, right, I think not just as much spread as these guys see in high school, not just as much 7-on-7 seven seven as they play, mm-hmm. uh, but they're so ingrained in it so early. Yep. And high, the one thing you can say about high school football in the state, there are really good ball coaches that do a good job teaching the game conceptually that all it boils down to at the end of the day, for especially when you recruit guys from the state of Texas, man, can you just cover somebody one-on-one? I know you know coverages. I know you know what you're doing. I know you can communicate. Yep. Man, can you just go out there and cover? Yeah, and I, I think actually now, even at the NFL level, I think at the college level too, you're starting to see a lot of it. Um, you're starting to see the younger, a younger generation of DBs that have basically been, <laughs> you know, they, they have grown up in this RPO, 707, pace and space, spread league where all of these offensive cheat codes have given the offenses such a size advantage for so long. Um, but now these guys, they are, they're kind of used to this. They're accustomed to it. Now, it's, it's, it's shocked by generation, yeah. but to them, they grew up as spread babies going up against all these cheat codes. Like you said, this is not foreign to them. This yeah. is this is the life they live. This mm-hmm. is their ecosystem. They're accustomed to yeah. it. So even at the NFL level, I don't think it's a, I don't think it's a coincidence that you had your first rookie make all pro at corner in Sauce Gardner since yeah. since Ronnie Lott. Yes. I think I think it is just an evolutionary adaptation. You're starting to see these spread babies. Now you're gonna see more of them, young DBs that are mm-hmm. balling out. I think you starting to even you go look at some did. of the young safeties, yeah, in the NFL now. And some Trevor Diggs, another Campbell, one of those guys. Patrick Sertan, like all, all those young J C the Horn. T- they're real they're really good at a young age. It's hard to find corners that are just that proficient at man to man coverage is because they're not afraid of being isolated and trying to uh, and, and offense is trying to exploit them mm-hmm. they've been used to it so yeah. put them out there on an island and yeah they're gonna lose their fair share but what I always said my DBs what's my one rule I don't give a damn if you're gonna get you get beat everybody gets beat you gotta win more than you lose and these corners now these young guys they're they come up the elite ones the good ones they're winning more than they lose uh, mm-hmm. at the NFL level, and the NFL is a little shocked by it. Yeah. That's, that's partly why the NFL is having a scoring, uh, a regression a little bit this year. The scoring was down. I think it's because the defenses are becoming a little bit more effective, not because of the scheme, but because the players are just a lot more efficient and proficient at their technique, and they're comfortable in space in this new era of cheat mm-hmm. codes of offense. I've heard, I've heard, you, say, I've heard you say it time and again. There are shutdown corners in the league at a time of football where evolution should probably tell you there shouldn't be shutdown corners. Yeah, it doesn't make sense, but there are some right now. Yeah. I mean, think about it. Those young DBs are playing really well. Yeah, because like Sauce Gardner showed up, and it's yeah. amazing that I he's mean, like the best in the like look it's at like the Seattle Island Seahawks, Tariq Woolen, like, yeah, from UTSA, and he's a what was he a, what was he a third round pick, second four, four. he might be later than that. But in the league right now, and he gets beat. He does get beat. Now, I ain't saying, just like Trevon Dix. Young guys get beat, but, man, they make plays on the box. The new rule of survival of this, the, the jungle of the new ecosystem of offense and football is, man, just go win. Just got to win. You don't get beat. You will get beat. But they don't have fear of getting beat. I, I grew up with fear. Yeah. Of being beat, make you fear, and, 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 and I think changed me as a player. I think it actually made, Nathan Basher never had that fear. Some guys they didn't have it. I think it made them really good players. Um, but I had a fear of getting beat, so I built my technique fundamentally around never getting beat. I was just talking to Everson Walls 
couple of weeks ago, mm-hmm. and he was talking about the same thing. He was like, man, I built everything around not getting beat. I was, I'd play off coverage, and I would triangulate the, looking at the quarterback, but looking at my receiver at the number two, and never let nobody behind me. Nobody ever gets behind me, and as soon as I, my eyes come off the quarterback, it go right to the receiver, and I'm always on top. Mm-hmm. I'm always at a point of leverage. And he was like, these days, they don't give a damn about that. Yeah. He said, the guys get their eyes in the backfield. He said, they're freestyling. I said, improvise. I said, yeah. I said, because they're so in tune with passing concepts now. They've been, like you said, they've been working them since they've been seven on seven as kids. They know, oh, uh, this looks like, oh, twins over here on this side, third and five, most likely double slant. This is what I always see. Like they just, they know like the China yeah. passing concepts and the over, they, they kind of understand the spacing of, all right, if a receiver goes, uh, away, a receiver's coming into my... They get that stuff where mm-hmm. we have to be taught it. Yeah. And we were taught through a fear-based coaching. Yeah. I don't know, maybe they just ain't... I would coach through fear-based coaching. I'll tell you right now, <laughs> my guys ain't giving up big stuff. But the guys aren't coached that way anymore. I went to a, a camp in San Antonio and the guys, yeah, they play differently. They play to make a play on the ball. It is a all or nothing yeah. type mentality because they understand with with the cheat codes, with all the advantages offenses have now, even with the rule changes and quarterbacks and being protected, all this kind of stuff, they're going to get beat. Yeah, Jalen Ramsey's out there getting used and abused. You go get beat, bro. It's happening. You might as well go out there and cash in when you can. Exactly. That's, That's the what big it's part. about. Just go make plays on the ball. Because sometimes, and we always talk about how optimal offense beats optimal defense and that type All of change day, that day. you've seen. So, therefore, it makes a lot more value for you to go out there and when you do win, make that win be worth it. And when you talk about, you know, the way that the NFL bounces back and forth off of each other and the way that these young DBs that have came up and had immediate success, it also is married, though, with the adjustment from, like, the single high to now having these shells up top that mm-hmm. you can go to where like the offensive production's down because it's not necessarily that they feel like we have security over the top, but there is more protection to where it's valued that because the defenses are more schemed with say a two high or even in college when we see three high or we even see against these pads like what was the big thing to stop Mahomes last year when mm-hmm. Lou Anarumo was like no we're just dropping eight like yep. we're, we're gonna come back and do it this year what did they go and do to do- Joe Burrow they totally adjusted from mm-hmm. him last year to having those type of defenses against them that's where these DBs fit that perfectly they do. that then you're playing within this 15 20 yard buffer and we talk about like in basketball how like why get into a half court set there's no point ever just run run. before the defense is set up and beat them before they can the defense can do that in football football is sort of the inverse of that because they want to get the ball out as fast as possible to get it you know but if you can disrupt that first second or two or the rhythm and the timing Mm -hmm. and be able to win those then you have that safeguard built in because infrastructurally your defenses are fear-based with the two high or three high shell that it lets those dbs be able to if you are that elite guy you can do that yeah, and right. that's where like Texas and looking at guys like I know that we talked about you know last year how Deshaun Jameson on one side would be you know more of a zone d- corner and be able to play well with his eyes on the football or on the he football and on off. the quarterback yeah, exactly that then on the other side when you had a guy like. Ryan Watts would be one that sometimes would get beat, but if you look at overall his numbers in man, 
he didn't give up anything, and it ended up being like a 57 NFL passer rating against him. And then when you said Jaron Thompson, he was obviously the highest graded by far coverage guy for Texas when you look at man coverage. And then the other two that were actually up there this year, Jalen Ford and then Jamison, because of the structure of the defense, allowed him to be – more productive than he's ever been in his career because you have that framework around him. Yep. You know, Rod, from a DB standpoint too, um, it, it used safety used to be a position where, like, kind of corners went to die when they got too slow to play corner. They just got shifted inside to safety. That, but I, and and there were times where, like, man, if you're a safety, it almost maybe just my perception, it almost seemed like an insult to some guys. Like, oh, am I not fast enough to play corner? Am I not athletic enough to play corner? I would just put mm-hmm. you in safety. Now it seems almost like that doesn't even cross a DB's mind. Like, it's not now, an insult. Yeah, now if you're playing safety, like, oh, I got a chance to play the middle of the field. I can get picks and whatever, and, and you know, a lot of the action is going to come to me. Yeah, I, just see, I don't know. You tell me if I'm wrong. It just seems like, especially kids coming up from high school to college, Kids don't have the same perception of being a safety that maybe they had 10 years ago. I think that is true. Uh, I, I think for me it's for a different reason. I think my very limited interaction with the youth these days, uh, coaching and stuff, is because they are being taught at a lower level now. You're just a defensive back. It's almost an old Coach Akina mindset. Mm-hmm. It's like you're not a corner. You're not a safety. You're a DB. Mm-hmm. All right? I'm going to need you to play everywhere so get comfortable with it there's no insult playing safety there's yeah. no insult to you uh playing corner no, no no you're a defensive back so i know a lot of these guys that i've talked to they play both mm-hmm. um and they because it's a spread era where you're playing five six dbs some of the time yeah. um they've kind of gotten used to coaches moving them around the chessboard and like i said they're they're really a lot more versatile than dbs when i was coming out coach akina that was that was that, that was like, that was like something that that was, uh, you know, a yeah, it was actually groundbreaking, but it was something that was an evolutionary adaptation. Yeah. He was coming up with it to counter the air raid. Yeah. He was like, all right, how do I, how do I want to beat the air Which raid, man? They're just spreading us out with 10 personnel, four wide receivers. And he was like, all right, I just need defensive backs out there. They all got to be able to cover and they all got to be able to tackle. That is my checklist. You got to be able to tackle in open space and you got to be able to cover. You can't do that. You cannot see the field. Mm-hmm. And that's why we ended up with our two corners being bigger than our safeties at the time. Ahmad Brooks and Nat Nasty Nate were the safeties. Me and Quinn Jammer were the corners. And it ended up working out perfectly, but that was his mindset that, oh, no, no, I just need guys that can check off that box. And I think now with like I said, what, what are they going up against? Basically, everything's a damn air right now. Pay space, mm-hmm. spreading them out. Mm-hmm. Now everybody's like, no, no, I just need DVs out there that can tackle in space because that's what everybody's trying yeah. to do. Get you isolated in space, get a one-on-one and beat you, and I need guys that can straight up just cover in space. They're yeah. not freaking out. And that's why I think now you kind of kind of a – I don't know if it's Coach Aquino that I'm giving a lot of credit to, but it is a a very similar philosophy with we got to deal with these offenses who are built to be – uh, you know, exploit us in space and built around the pace and built around all these cheat codes. So we just need versatile defenders who are instinctual, who are great football players. And that is a throwback going mm-hmm. back to, I just need football players in my you secondary. Derek, you Be a ball at, player. You look at uh, Derek Williams, Warren Roberson, the guys that Texas is bringing in, a guy like B.J. Allen on campus. That's what these guys are. They're, there is no more, uh, I'm recruiting a strong safety or a free mm-hmm. safety you're recruiting defensive backs who well, this guy, the physical traits might project him exactly. a little bit more to field safety or boundary safety. Exactly. But, man, 
if you're at a place like Texas, if you can't if you can't cover man to man and you can't tackle a space, you got no shot. Well, and no shot. to your point about you know Akina adjusting to Leach in the situation that he's being faced with, that's what is going on right now when we talk about these NFL offenses because you don't know who you're lining up against. There's so much motion and there's so many shifts, and then if you add in the position, you know, uh, just ability of players to have a hybrid skill sets, but you're engineering these mismatches with guys from one side to the other. So it doesn't matter if you lined up there it's not necessarily who you can plan on guarding exactly. therefore you have to have that hybrid ability or you're at a disadvantage and I think that's a lot of the reason why it was just Leach was so far ahead of his time with putting players in spots and having well basically a horizontal running game out mm-hmm. there that it's exactly what you're seeing now with the screen game with guys like Tyreek Hill or your Debo's or whoever you're going to go look at on one side or the other because you might be a safety, you might be a corner, but you're going to have the outside guy here or you're going to have the second guy here, and that's going to change from a play-by-play basis. Um, Rod, did you watch the Ravens? 30? Some people are like, oh, I watched the Grammys on Sunday. No, I watched the Baltimore Ravens 30 for 30. I didn't. I haven't seen it okay. yet. It's DVR. I haven't uh, seen it yet. You can argue that's the greatest defense in, in the history I've of football. Seen that discussion. Gave yeah. up Gave up 10.3 points per game in a regular yeah, season. No doubt. Uh, only gave up in four, four playoff games. They only gave up one touchdown. Uh, just – Insane. Bullies, man. They were what I was thinking real. about, I was looking about how that defense is constructed. I'm like, as great as that defense was, there's no way you could put that defense in the NFL today at any level of football and have success. When you got Tony Siragusa and <laughs> Sam Adams, that player is obsolete at defensive tackle. And Peter Bowyer would probably be playing with his hand on the ground now and not be mm-hmm. playing like that hybrid position. Uh, Ray Lewis obviously is great, but like you know, Chris McAllister and Dwayne Starks, he had like big physical big corners. corners. Like yeah. with Kim Herring and Rod Woodson, you had Kim Herring, you had an old school safety. Rod Woodson at that point in his career was a safety. Like he wasn't, yes. couldn't play corner anymore. He was one of those guys that, man, you know, the lateral quickness isn't what it was, but you can still play. We'll stick you at safety. Like you just, it's funny like to look at how great that defense was and yeah. take it even further back. Like, there's no way you could construct a defense like the the Buddy Ryan 46 defense with the 85 mm, Bears. No. no way you could construct a defense like that now. No. All you do is pick, take concepts that they use, stuff like that yeah. situationally, but – no, it, it, you got to construct it differently. The times, who they yeah. are facing. The same thing that you're talking yeah. about with the Kino or why these defenses are doing it is because of the offense that they're facing. And at that time, that was who they were facing, and it made sense. I mean, when you got to face the again. Titans twice a year with Eddie George and that mm-hmm. downhill running game, you got to play Jacksonville twice a year with uh, Fred Taylor and that running game. You got to mm-hmm. face the Steelers twice a year. Like yeah. it was, it was a different animal at that point. The NFL yeah, was a and, and animal. defense actually won championships back then. Defense now. It it complements the offense, and the offense. Let's be honest, that's what's winning you championships these days. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I mean, it's I, I'm with you. I think it's really, really interesting now to see that the evolution of the game in such a short time span. When you mm-hmm. think about it, though, hadn't happened. I mean, it's, we really hit this spread era in the NFL, honestly, in terms of just hit the ground running. Honestly, probably around two thousand. 10, 2009, right around there. Yeah. They started, they started, basically, there was no more shame in taking college concepts yes. and using them. And there was, at one point, this belief that that's a college offense, that's an NFL offense. Yep. And now that doesn't exist. The first you know, time I really that noticed doesn't exist it, anymore. yeah, the first time I really noticed it, I remember I was watching a Packers game when Jermichael Finley was with the Packers. And the way they were moving him around, I'm like, the Packers are running a spread offense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, nobody wants to say it. Nobody <laughs> wants to admit it. It's like the dirty word that none of y'all want to say. Right, but sir, yeah. They're running an offense that I see on Saturdays in the Big 12. No, yeah. uh, Mike Leach, the late, great Mike Leach would always say, he's like, I watched the NFL, and I'm like, hey, 
we've been running that for ten years. They're talking <laughs> yes. about how innovative it is. We've yeah. been doing that narrate. Like you remember, you remember about five years ago, like all the, all the time we've had on this podcast talking about stop talking about three four four three like Nicholas Base, and then the last like three to five years in the NFL. Oh my gosh, have you guys noticed the trend that Nicholas Base? Like, yeah. Been playing that game for 15 years 15 in this years. league. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, that's your base now. We've we been talking about that. it for the last decade on this podcast. We've been talking about positionless football for the last, I don't know, five, six yeah. years. Yeah. And 2017. Now, the big thing is, oh, positionless football, positionless football. I say, yeah, we've been talking about it for a while. It's been out there. But that's the way the game goes. I, 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 I love that. That to me is football theory. That's all it is in a yeah. nutshell. Just paying attention to the trends. But God, that Ravens yeah. defense was salty, man. That was a really good thirty for thirty too. You need to. I'm gonna check it out. I'm gonna check, it out. I'm gonna check it. it out. Yeah. No All right, doubt. we've uh, we've gone over time, so uh, it's time to wrap it up. Matt, thanks for everything, man. You're more than welcome. Rod B, appreciate the time and the knowledge. Anytime, brother. Anytime. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. For Matt, for Rod, for everybody at the Austin Radio Network and the Horn, 1049, 1019 AM, 1260. Streaming on the Horn app and at hornfm.com where you can get Rod B each and every weekday. On Ball Don't Lie with Mike Harge from 3 to 7. Famous plug. You can also get myself and Craig Way on Light the Tower from 10 to noon. Thanks to Matt. Get all of our archives. Our classic interviews and shows are on the Longhorn Blitz SoundCloud page. Yep, just type in Longhorn Blitz. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Search Horns 24-7 anywhere you get your podcasts. That's Horns 247. No dashes, no slashes, no spaces. Click that follow button to get every episode of The Blitz when it drops on Tuesdays. And don't forget to leave us a five-star review. For the Horn family, for the Horns 24-7 family, I'm Jeff Howe. Thank you so much for downloading and listening, and we will catch you again on the next episode. You've been listening to Longhorn Blitz with Horns247.com. Remember, for the latest Longhorn news 24-7, visit Horns247.com. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast wherever you get your podcasts.